In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is Psalm 145, verses 1 to 7, which we have prayed as the intro for this second Sunday of the Epiphany. You may sit. Here again the words of our psalm. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This is our text. A man went to visit his father in Arizona and his father happened to have a friend, Larry, at his home. After greeting, the father said, Hey, Larry, this is my son, Chip. Chip is a curtain salesman. Dad, I don't do that anymore. I manage a shipping office. Anyway, Chip lives in Cleveland, Ohio. Dad, I moved to Columbus two years back. Oh, yeah. Well, Chip has a lovely family, two sons and their mother, Madge. Dad, it's Marge. And we also have a daughter. So, Chip sent me the tabletop barbecue grill I was telling you about. I'm sorry, Dad, but my brother Chet had given that to you. You can see that although the father was trying to introduce his son to the friend and was trying to say nice things about his son, yet his forgetfulness of the facts about his son proved embarrassing, misleading, and suggested real problems, if not with the father-son relationship, then with the father's own mental acuity. Our text, Psalm 145, is both an exhortation and a prophecy. The psalmist encourages us to praise and remember the great acts of the Lord. And it also says that God's people will continue doing this throughout history. We fulfill this prophecy when we gather and pray this psalm. The psalmist invites us to join the people of God in praising God forever and ever to tell succeeding generations what God has done so that they too may praise God. In order to do this, we need what the early Christians called orthodoxy, a word meaning right teaching or right praise. Now, some of us have had more to do with the orthodontist than we care to remember. Orthodontist is from the Greek words ortho, meaning straight or right, and odon, which is Greek for tooth. So the word orthodoxy is from the word ortho, which means right or straight, and doxa, from which we get the word doxology, which means praise, but also the word doctrine which means teaching. Just as Chip's father couldn't really praise him because he didn't have the facts straight, 
So we will be unable to follow the psalmist's example if we are not clear on God's mighty acts and awesome deeds. The psalmist himself understood God's creation and preservation of the world as the first great act. An act that is still playing out in all that occurs to keep our world turning, producing life, etc. But the second great act of God for the psalmist was in choosing a people for himself, making a covenant with them, and God's faithfulness in that covenant, delivering, sustaining, and preserving his people. The stories of creation and the flood speak to the creation and preservation of the world. The Bible stories of the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spoke to God's choosing a people to be his own. The rescue of Israel from Egypt and the covenant with Moses providing laws and customs, these gave structure and meaning to the psalmist's community life. These acts of God were subject of recollection and meditation on every Sabbath rest when the psalmist turned his attention from everyday concerns of life to remembering who he was and whose he was. You and I are called to join with the psalmist and with every generation of believers more than a hundred generations since the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have word of the mightiest act of all, an act that the psalmist was not explicitly aware of. For God had promised the psalmist that David's son would rule and shepherd God's people forever. But this promise was unfulfilled in the psalmist's day. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God fulfilled this promise in the most astounding way in the incarnation of the Word of God through the Blessed Virgin Mary. God became man in Christ Jesus and dwelt among us. The immortal God became one with mortal man. Divinity took on humanity. The eternal entered the temporal so that we temporal finite creatures might have a path to eternal blessing and life. The greatest act of God is the incarnation of the Son for the salvation of humans and this created world. This is so astounding that even we cannot understand it. We call such deep truth beyond our comprehension a mystery. Now this mystery is unfolded in each of the Gospels. John's Gospel is a good example. For John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus and points him out as the Lamb of God, who then proclaims the kingdom of God and demonstrates the kingdom's power in casting out demons and healing diseases. Our Gospel story today is John's record of Christ's first miracle, the turning water into wine. It points out that his divinity is revealed in the turning of water to wine, a process that occurs in the natural world over time. But at Christ's command, the natural world's process speeds up to meet human need.
eventually this God-made man shows that he is fully human by suffering death and carrying the weight of human guilt so that it might be expiated, extinguished, written off, paid for, dealt with, so that it may no longer condemn you and me. And his identity as true God and true man was confirmed by his resurrection, which was not just an addition of years as was given to Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. These good people were raised by Christ to live out the full span of life, but then had to die again. But Christ is raised to die no more. He was raised not just to a finite human life, but raised to the infinite life which God intends for each one of us. This is the gift and the path to which he calls you and me. This is the right teaching which enables us to give right praise. Beware of any community calling itself Christian that seems uninterested or unexcited in the fact that God became man in Christ Jesus to die on the cross and rise again for our redemption. Now too many of us are in danger of becoming like Chip's dad whose life apart from Chip threatened to undo their relationship so that we may extol God with the psalmist and encourage others to do so, let us consider what we can do to strengthen our orthodoxy. And the first is to be aware of God's mighty acts and awesome deeds. First, that he made the world. So learn about the world. Secular learning is a great tool when you study science and examine the, the intricacies of life. When you consider the patterns that make up the discipline of chemistry. When you consider the expanses of space and the millions if not billions of stars and galaxies that we have discovered. We praise God because we know who made it and who planned it all. It's also important to study the world to understand human experience, to know what to expect. So many brilliant people are blind in this regard. One of the greatest writers America ever produced, some would argue the greatest, was Mark Twain, whose real name was Samuel Clemens. He was a doubter about God and Christianity and often made fun of them. He had a satisfying marriage with Olivia and three beautiful daughters and for 20 years they lived with great happiness in their home in Hartford, Connecticut. But then through some financial mismanagement he went bankrupt and had to go on a world tour to try to repay some of his debts. So he and his wife and one daughter went on this tour leaving the other two daughters at home and while he was on the tour the one daughter got a fever and died. And then when he returned home, the other daughter developed epilepsy and eventually she drowned in the bathtub after a, after a seizure. And his wife died and he became extremely bitter and, and wrote some blasphemous things about God. 
How could there be a good God in the world? He seems to have regarded the 20 years of family happiness as his due and the fact that it came to an end, as every human life must come to an end, caught him by surprise. He saw the ambiguities of life not through faith, which recognizes that we are all beggars, that anything we have is a gift from the grace of God. So we rejoice that God has given us a glass half full. Without faith, Twain was bitter that the world had only given him a glass half full and he spent his last part of his life in mourning and bitterness for a world that was passing away. So it's important that we learn about the world that God has made, recognizing not only its wonder, but also the fact that it's temporal, that it's passing away, and that part of us with it will pass away. And God does not leave us in that, for the next great act of our salvation is that God acted to forgive our sin. Now, it's one thing to believe that your sin is forgiven. It's another thing to understand that more deeply. You know, some people regard Christianity as, as a kind of bus. You get on the bus and you say hello to the bus driver, but otherwise you ignore him for the rest of the trip. That's not what the Christian journey is like. Instead, we, our Lord is our, our teacher and we are his disciples and we follow him, not as passengers on a bus, but as disciples of the Lord. And so it is good to ponder the forgiveness of our sin. Do you even know what you did wrong? I don't doubt that many of you have feelings of guilt on the one hand and feelings of being right on the other. But you know, our feelings often deceive us. Sometimes we feel guilty about things that aren't our fault. Sometimes we feel righteous about things that we sh of which we should be ashamed. So self-reflection is a part of being a Christian and acknowledging the mighty acts of God who forgives the sins of the self-deceived such as ourselves. And the Word of God has much to teach us about God's law and ethics. Our society has much to teach us about our unspoken covenants, our obligations to one another and to our society. God says that government officials are God's servants for our good, so we need to take those regulations that pertain to us, annoying as they can be, seriously. They have a claim on our conscience. And the greatest act of God is that he sent the Christ do you want to know who he is? If you want to know the Christ, there is opportunity to get to know him through his word, through Bible study, through hearing the word, through your own reading the scriptures and the writings of experienced Christians. We can grow in the Lord, growing in our understanding so that we may better speak the praise of God so that we might be orthodox in our praise and in our teaching. And therefore we participate in praise with our fellow believers in a right-believing church. It's important to praise God for the right things. Often in our prayer we ask that God would bless Christian communities that they might teach the Word of God according to the Scriptures, administer the sacraments according to the 
institution of Christ that all churches might be orthodox in their teaching and in their praising. And not only when we gather with fellow Christians, but part of your daily routine as you sing hymns and give thanks, as you pray with classic prayers that other Christians have written, or pray from what arises from your believing heart. We participate in the very praise and extolling the deeds of God the psalmist speaks of. May we fulfill the psalmist's exhortation and prophecy through our orthodoxy by telling aright what God has done in Christ and by living our lives to the praise of his glory. Amen. 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 And may that peace of God that surpasses understanding keep your hearts and minds in this true faith. Amen. Amen.